Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. I am Haney. We are Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 165, recorded on November the 23rd, 2021. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on needypintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. In today's headlines, we'll be covering the new uh, regions that have been opened for Azure, as also new announcements for upcoming regions. We will also look at the Windows 2022 available in Azure, as well as some new improvements to the Azure storage services, both on the blob storage side, as well as the Azure files. There will also be a talk about .NET 6 support in Azure App Services, as well as Power BI Desktop and Power BI News as well. There we go. I think we've misplaced Simon, though. Again. <laughs> again. Yes, again. We have misplaced Simon. If anybody sees Simon, please let us know. Now, uh, so he couldn't make it this uh, week, which means that we get to um, run around <laughs> screaming like we happy to do when he's not around. Yeah, um, more focus on data stuff. More focus on data stuff. I approve of this. Yeah, me too. Awesome. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into something for my focus segment that we've kind of been, been touching on a few times, but now it's time to actually do a real walkthrough of what it is and, and how it works. And I am talking about Delta Lake. Ooh. <laughs> That's a good reaction, yes. I'm I'm pretty sure that Simon Whiteley would say something similar. <laughs> yes, definitely. So what is Delta Lake? Well, it's easy to confuse this with Data Lake uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that it is actually based on a data lake. Another is that it sounds kind of like the same thing, but it isn't. So where a data lake is a storage service, Delta Lake is a storage format. Yes, you heard that right. It's a storage format, just like Parquet is a storage format or CSV or ORC or any other storage format. So why do we even need to have this discussion? Well, I'm, I'm going to do a, a backtrack because it's important to know how we ended up where we are today, as opposed to just diving into the whole thing. And I'm going to start with the difference between an operational data store and an enterprise data warehouse, where an oper operational data store, ODS, that's meant for operational reporting, and it supports current or near real-time reporting requirements, i.e. you're going to see a lot of transaction intensity here. The data warehouse on the other side is meant for historical and trend analysis reporting on much, much larger volumes of data. We are not interested in the all the way down, basically, to every invoice line, for instance. We want to do um, analytics on the aggregates. And that also brings us to the, the ODS is targeted for low granular queries, while data warehouses more complex queries against summary level or aggregated data. So how do we how do we see a difference or how do we spot a difference between an ODS and a data warehouse? Well, if we were to look at the data model, the oper operation, it's a hard word. Meh. 
Operational Data Store, ODS, it is going to be normalized. It is going to be normalized at least to the third normal form, most likely even further, meaning that you do not want to duplicate data, you do not want to aggregate data, all that stuff. It's, it's normalized to support a very fast and intensive um, transactional workload, if you will. On the other hand, the data warehouse is definitely not normalized. In fact, it's going to be denormalized in many, many cases. And this is where we kind of go into what's known as dimensional modeling. And this was coined back in 1996, 1997 by Ralph Kimball. And then you also have Bill Inman. Those two gentlemen are the, the fathers, if you will, of the modern data warehouse, where Bill Inman goes from top down. Ralph Kimball generally goes from bottom up, i.e. small marts into a huge data warehouse. These days, it's kind of hard to figure out where they, they, where the, the division lies between them. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it's going to be variations of the same theme. We have a fact table where we have everything that's going to happen in the database, and we have the dimensions where you can slice and dice the fact table based off the dimensions. So all of this is based off a relational data store or relational database, right? And we're going to be facing a couple of, of challenges when we do this kind of reporting stuff and, and do this, this kind of database stuff. For starters, we're going to need to ingest data. And this is going to be done most often like every day, i.e. every night. Uh, that has been the, the usual uh, the usual um, time time window. So every night we take all the transactions from the transactional ODS operational data store systems and we bring them into the data warehouse. When we've brought them into the data warehouse, then it is time to do the um, data uh, cleansing if you need to do that. We're going to do the data wrangling as well, where we aggregate some stuff and put that into the fact table um, new dimensions, i.e. if we have a new customer or if we have something like that, we're going to be putting that into the customer dimension and so on and so forth. This is not necessarily that hard. It takes some work, of course. And of course, we need to figure out what rows have changed since the last time we did the, the load. But it is not very flexible. We are going to trip over a few issues if the source data changes. Because then we need to figure out, okay, should we update all the historical data in the data warehouse? Or should we do something when we do the, the data wrangling to sort the, the changed data? It is definitely going to be more of a process issue than a technical issue, but I, I can guarantee you that it's going to be a bit of a mess from a technical perspective as well. It's, called, it's also called schema drift. Now, the issue is, for 85% of my customers that are used to working with relational data only, they're more than happy to keep doing this. I mean, in, inside of Azure, we have everything from Azure SQL Server, the, the low-end general-purpose garden variety database. That works fine. If you need more performance, well, you go for hyperscale or business critical. Or if you really need more performance, then you go to Azure Synapse Analytics, the dedicated pools. Then you have all the power you need ever. 
But as soon as you step away from the relational database perspective, or you have some other needs, and I'm going to come back to them in, in a second, suddenly it's no longer any fun to work with a relational database. Say, for instance, that you have sensors. You have a lot of sensors that are, are writing data to somewhere, and you need to save this. And not only is it a strange data format, because this sensor, it has the, the bad behavior of giving you JSON files. So that means that you need to work with the JSON files, grab the data that you need and put those into the database, i.e. you need to do data wrangling going in, or you need to dump this into some stage table. And everybody who's ever worked with SQL Server or a relational database and come up with a great idea to put in JSON files or text files or God knows what files inside of a database. Yeah, you're going to hate yourself after about 15 minutes. It sucks because it's not designed for it. So we need to figure out another way to store these intermediate data files, if you will. Sure. But what if we have data in a format that does not lend itself to a database? such as the ubiquitous Excel files. How, how do you get those into a, a SQL database? Well, one idea would be a file table, which is a great idea, unless you're in Azure because it's not supported outside of the managed instance. Meh, meh, kind of sucks, but it is what it is. So how do we sort this? Well, this is where you bring in a data lake, and we are slowly inching towards what I was supposed to be talking about, the Delta Lake thing. So a data lake is a huge file system where you can just dump in files to your heart's content. It doesn't care if it's an Excel file. It doesn't care if it's a JSON file or whatever. So anything you can think of, you can store in a, delta, in a data lake. The issue with the data lake is that the difference between a data lake and a data swamp is almost nothing. You can't do transactions in a data lake, which means that you might find yourself having uploaded some of the files in your, your nightly upload, but not all of them. And it is going to be a bit tricky to figure out which ones didn't get there and ultimately why. We still need to have a Lambda architecture, i.e. one transaction architecture and one streaming architecture, because those are two sides of the same coin. We can't have both at the same time. And we also need to think about what's known as the slowly changing dimension with a database. It's going to be the same issue with the data lake, because when you put in stuff, you need to figure out how do we do basically time travel? How do we look at data as it looked a couple of weeks or months ago? So back to the, the beginning, Delta Lake is an offering. It's actually an, an, an open source offering, and it is... In essence, the combination of a data lake for storage and a delta lake log for adding stuff to the lake. Underneath the hood, it's Parquet files. So it's compressed like nothing and it is super quick, super snappy, but it is going to give you as the transactions on Spark, i.e. you're going to have serializable isolation levels, meaning people are not going to see any inconsistent data you will be able to have handle metadata. You can do counts on billions of rows instantly because you don't need to scan all the rows. You have the information in the log files. 
you can do both streaming and batch at the same time because a table in Delta Lake is a batch table as well as a streaming source and sync at the same time, which means that I can stream data and do analytics on that, but I can also backfill through batch movement as well. And of course, interactive queries just work. Schema enforcement, another thing that we kind of face with the data lake. I can store anything in a data lake. Nobody's going to be the wiser. Nobody will be able to stop me, basically. But with um, with Delta Lake, I can do schema enforcement, i.e. I can stop you from putting in data that is not formatted in the way that I want it to be formatted. And that kind of also brings us to another thing, the whole schema drift thing. Yeah, what if I've added a column in my source data? And I'm trying to write that to... Delta Lake. Delta Lake is going to go, uh, dude, that's not what it's supposed to look like. You have more stuff in your file coming in. How do you want to sort this? You have two, two options. One is just ignore the errors. The other one is to update the schema. Meaning I don't have to explicitly change the schema. I can just insert the data and the schema will be automatically updated. And here's the kicker time travel. I can look at the data as of, say, a time. It's going to look at the data and the schema like it was at that time. How cool is that? Which also means that I can actually join between a time travel query and my own query. So I can quickly just ask the database, how, how many rows have I inserted since this time? Automatically. And it also supports upserts and deletes. That's merge, for instance, update and, and stuff like that. Because in a data lake, you either put in a whole file or nothing. So if your file is 400 megabytes of, of heavily compressed parquet, well, it kind of sucks to need to, if you need to change one row, you can't do that. You can in Delta Lake. So th this is this is the coolest thing since sliced bread for real. I am starting to see that everything that I've known, everything I've learned the last decades when it comes to BI, it, it needs to rethink the whole thing. I think that a Delta Lake is going to be the next go-to uh, system, basically. As it stands right now, we have Delta Lake available in Databricks. It's, it's fastest in Databricks because they were the first. We have limited support for Delta Lake in Azure Synapse, um, both the Spark pools and the serverless pools. It's not available in the dedicated pools yet, but I'm pretty sure that it's going to get there uh, in, in time. And this is also why we really need to have Spark, because Spark is going to do the heavy lifting. It's going to do any ingestion and any, any wrangling, if you will, of the data um, coming in and, and putting from, from Parquet or whatever you come in and putting into uh, Delta Lake. So this is really, really cool. I can't recommend it highly enough. The thing is, it's kind of hard to find documentation on it, especially if you do the way that I do, i.e. Google it. You need to go into the Synapse Knowledge Center inside of the Synapse um, workspace. There is a button for Synapse Knowledge Center, and then you can click keep, and keep going. Then you can find a couple of notebooks that gives you all the information you need about 
how to actually set this up and, and play with it. So again, it's in preview. It's in all parts of it is in, in preview and it is not going to be as fastest as Databricks, but the small um, tests that I've done so far is, is really, really cool. What's your take on it? Well, I, I haven't myself used the Delta Lake a lot yet in as like creating it and managing it and so forth, but I've gotten a chance to kind of see some of these implementations. So it does look really cool and it actually helped me to get this really full on explanation of it as well. It kind of uh, answered some questions for me and the like I have a few questions in my mind, but the one thing I'm wondering about is is that because like if we talk about reporting and visualizing data, does this make it easier to use like a delta lake as a source instead of a regular data lake? Because it hasn't always been so easy to work with, for example, using a CSV file or something like that in Power BI, for example. No, and and that that's a great question because in in Power BI, you have the, the Parquet connector these days. So you can actually look at Parquet files in a data lake. And that's pretty fast hmm. uh, for the most part. But but what you're doing is you're you're pulling the data into Power BI. Yeah. You're, you're caching it for the most part. You can also go through the serverless pools and have the serverless pools read the Parquet file. That, that's mm. what we had to do in the beginning. Here, you're going to be able to have kind of the best of both worlds because again you will be um, you will have access to the delta log files underneath the coverage so a lot of things are going to be faster again mm. it's going to be cached unless you're running a direct query uh, so yeah it's it's definitely going to make things simpler for everything basically including uh, reporting going forward yeah cool what's what's your thoughts about like is this gonna get so um so good in its functions that it's going to be able to replace kind of the traditional data warehouses at some point? Or can it already do it? <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, that that's the $1,000 question because for the most part, my my customers, they, they look at this and go, yeah, but we don't have anything that's not relational. And I say, no, yet. Mm-hmm. Because everybody and their cat wants in on IOT stuff. And as soon as you point out that, well, what if you were able to ingest Excel files and actually dump them into the data lake, just like anything else, and have them part of your whole workflow, suddenly they go, oh, you mean that way? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think this, we're we're standing on the, the, um, the precipice of a whole new way of doing things. And again, this is not new per se. The idea of the the data lake or the data lake house, if you will, it's been around for a couple of years, mm-hmm. but it's not until Delta Lake that we were actually able to, to do what we've tried to do. Exactly. And another thing that we're kind of stuck at is large data warehouses are kind of unwieldy. If we're yeah. looking at terabytes of data today, it's going to be expensive. Yeah. And with Spark being able to parallelize like nothing I've ever seen, mm-hmm. it means that you're going to be able to work with larger amounts of data faster yeah. than you would in a normal database. I, I don't know, but I, that's that's what I think is going to happen. Cool. Very, very interesting stuff. 
And on top of this, we also have something called the Delta Sharing, the, the Delta Sharing Connector. And that's also a project that sprung out of the Delta Lake idea. And it is a, a serving layer, if you will. And depending on where you're at, it's it's available, for instance, in um, Amazon. It's available in, in Azure as of just a couple of days ago. And Delta Sharing is a REST protocol that shares access to parts of your cloud data set. Parts of your cloud data set. I can put in a filter so I have one file, basically, mm-hmm. in, in my data lake, but I can share just part of it. That ah, is super, super cool. That is really cool. Yeah. And you're going to get a token or some other method, and you will be able to, to access just a small part of whatever data, or all of it, if you want to. And the the, the server is going to generate a very short-lived, a pre-signed URL that the, um, the, the client can read. And then you just transfer the, the Parquet files. Because again, Delta Lake is Parquet files underneath. So hmm. you can do it in parallel. And as long as you have the bandwidth for it, you can go pretty heavy. Yeah. Neat. Indeed. It's time to go for the news. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. So what's first? So first, there is a a new Azure region live in Sweden. And that is why I'm talking about it, since I'm not a Swede. So (laughs) I'm not partial (laughs) to this topic. The the resident (laughs) non-Swede pointed out. Yeah. Yeah, so... It, it's open. Um, I've managed to create some things in there. It's it's bizarre to read Sweden Central. It, it's going to take some getting used to. <laughs> um, last time I checked, and that was a couple of days ago, uh, not everything was up and running yet. For instance, Synapse wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been told that it's, it's going to get there because apparently this is going to be the same kind of size data center like Amsterdam, I've I've heard. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to that and, and really looking forward to see what, I mean, it's, it's just a few milliseconds in, in round trip to, um, to, to, uh, Amsterdam, but I think it's going to be faster still. Yeah. And I think it's a bit the same for Finland as well. It's, it's a bit closer and better latencies for us as well than Amsterdam. I wonder if there are any so I'm I'm pretty sure that there are going to be cables under under the sea over the Baltic Sea between Stockholm and probably Stockholm. But I'm I'm thinking if there is, is something going up through the north of Finland and down through the north of Sweden as well. Hmm. Have no idea. I don't know. No idea. Let's go digging. <laughs> Let's go digging. So you're one of the the people that steal the copper cabling, uh-huh? No. No. That's an interesting hobby. <laughs> yeah, I I think it wouldn't be very productive. <laughs> no, but apparently there is a lot of money in it because they they keep doing it. And I'm yeah, I, I'm pretty impressed by someone who could steal fifteen kilometers of cable without anybody noticing. Yeah, that is not sure how that is possible. <laughs> no, but I'm pretty sure that they will be needing more cables than that because they're going to be putting Azure in Belgium. <laughs> That might actually be one of my better segues. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, that's the good ones. 
Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. Yes. This was actually announced today, a couple of hours ago. Um, so uh, nobody knows when. I'm I'm thinking a couple of years before it's it's there, but it's been announced. So there will be a new, uh, at least one data center in, in Belgium going forward. Excellent. New regions yep. coming up everywhere, it seems. Indeed. Speaking of regions, Windows 2022, the Azure edition, is generally available. Have you tried it yet? No. Me no. neither. I, I can actually not remember when I installed Windows Server the last time. Yeah, I did that some weeks ago. <laughs> you did? Yeah. Yeah, there there is still some applications out there that are made to run on servers. Strange. Yes. I know it's easy to forget sometimes. This is something that Tony would have had complete knowledge about. So now we're just bumbling around in the dark and going, yeah, something, something, Windows Server. Yes. <laughs> uh, but what we have with 22 is much better hybrid capabilities with Azure Arc. And that's kind of neat. Mm -hmm. You can do larger servers than you could do with um, Windows Server 2019. SMB compression, which means better transfer on over, over uh, SMB. And uh, the Windows Admin Center. I'm, I'm sure there's more, but that's, that's what I've read so far. And then I have a question for you. Yes. I listened to your revamped session about... Azure Infrastructure for the Power BI Data Consumer. Ah, that's the one. Mm -hmm. That's the one. And you had a new thing inside there, mm -hmm. which is called the VNet Data Gateway. Yeah. The VNet Data Gateway is in preview, but yes. I'm, I've done some digging and I have questions. Yes. What kind of questions do you have? So th this is a way of uh, managing a, a data gateway. So instead of having to put that on a virtual machine, you can basically buy it as a service, right? Yeah. So... Just to clarify, this is a on-premise data gateway for Power BI. Uh, you can also use it for some Power Platform services and logic apps and things like that to connect to your on-premise data sources. And now there's this new edition called VNet Data Gateway. Right. And that you don't need to have on your own virtual machine. Yes. You can, again, spin it up in, inside of Azure. Exactly. So... When I was looking at the um, the architecture drawings for this, it does say VNet Data Gateway, and it mm -hmm. connects to resources inside of your VNet. Yes. Which is all great and fun mm -hmm. if your resources actually reside in your VNet. Yes. Where do stuff like Synapse and, I don't know, Azure SQL Server generally reside in your VNet? Yes or no? By default, no, but uh, I think it's an increasing amount where people are setting it up into their VNets with private endpoints and or service endpoints to do that configuration. Yeah, for sure. I mean, th there has been a huge uptick in the requests for um, private link and, as you say, mm. service endpoints and, and uh, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, just 
a year ago, people didn't think that much about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's also good to know that it doesn't connect to anything in your virtual network. It connects to specific Azure data services. So there's a list of supported services that it supports. It's it's actually quite extensive, but it's not like you automatically, if you have a data service in your VNet, you could connect to it through this. So you kind of need to check that it is actually supported. And I do believe that list is, of course, going to grow as this becomes generally available, etc. But it, it's not like it connects you to everything. It is a little more restricted than the on-premise data gateway. Yeah. And another restriction that really needs to be pointed out is that this is premium only. So either yes. premium capacity or premium per user. Yeah. So if you're not running premium per user, you are not able to connect to, well, keep your traffic inside of the VNet. You will be uh, out and gallivanting around on the Microsoft backbone. Yeah. Or setting a virtual machine with the on-premise data gateway. True. Mm-hmm. True. There, there's, there's always solutions. Yeah, there is. And what's up with, with blob storage? There, there can't be any changes to blob storage. I mean, that stuff no, is ancient, right? It is. But we, I think we got a quite a, a long-expected feature in there that it now supports SFTP if you enable it for your Azure Blob Storage. And I think it is this is kind of a capability that has been asked for a long time. And at least I saw a lot of act- activities around this and news around this in Twitter and everywhere. So it seems that it has been uh, kind of hitting the nail with this one. It has been expected. So secure FTP or file transfer protocol, which... It's ancient in itself, mm-hmm. but it is a huge um, improvement, I should say. Yeah. And the one oh, thing you but, need to note here is that for Azure Blob Storage, you normally authenticate with a key or a SAS token or your Azure AD credentials. But for the SFTP capability, you need a username and a password or a uh, SSH key. Right. But... That's what SFTP supports regularly as well. So it does make sense that that is the case here. True. And did you figure out if it is possible to turn this on when you have created your your storage account? Or is it something that you need to click on when you set it up? I'm not actually sure because I was looking for it uh on one of my old storage accounts to try to find it. And then I realized that this is not <laughs> yet in West Europe. It is instead in North Europe. So oh. that that was, I then forgot to like see if I could do that for something in North Europe. So I'm not sure. No, and, and I think we talked about this, that yeah. they really surprised us for this one. Most of the time you would expect stuff to get to West Europe first. But in this case, it went to North Europe first. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. And again, it's like a restricted uh, amount of regions where this is available currently. And again, it's going to be spreading out. And there is actually also other improvements to Azure Storage as well. So within Azure Storage, we also have the Azure Files side 
And so this is for having your file shares in the cloud uh, without having to run like file servers there instead. And there we now have NFS uh, version 4.1, which definitely brings some uh, security enhancements and things things like that that you are able to then then leverage when you're when you're using this service. So then NFS comes from network file system. And I'm thinking that you would use that to mount drives on a Linux virtual machine, for instance. Yeah, exactly. Makes sense. Yeah. And then we move on to Azure App Service, where we have gotten support for .NET 6. And this one, uh, it's kind of, it is generally available, but there's this early access feature in App Service that allows you to uh, use the .NET 6 right away, for example. And um, I'm, I'm not a .NET developer, even though I've, I've dappled around with some of it, but I don't claim to know all the enhancements that are there. But um, it does uh, <laughs> bring some ease to the development experience as far as some .NET developers have told me. So I'm going to trust them on that. And I think just a little while ago, this also became available in the newest uh, functions tiers, tier as well. So really, uh, Azure is pushing to have these newest versions of the different languages available right away. I think we were talking about .NET 6 uh, support for functions a while yeah. back. We also have about a metric ton of new things in Power BI, and we both have the Power BI November update, the Power BI desktop, but there's also a number of changes and updates to the service. And the biggest thing I should say in the November feature summary feature update is uh, the format pane. We now have a, a new look and feel of the the um, the layout in, inside of Power BI Desktop, and I think this is welcome. There are a few bugs. Um, we've, we've tripped uh, a few of them, but they're, they're getting there. So it's easier to work with. Um, it's not as cluttered. And I, I figured out the other day that my new laptop, while it is fantastic in every respect, um, it's... The the the, um, the resolution is not that great for Power BI, mm -hmm. so it's um it's a full HD that is slightly too small to really fit everything inside of Power BI. So so th this is a better better solution for me specifically. What do we have more? We have a new page and bookmark navigator, and I had a colleague of mine. Uh, she groaned a lot about a report that she was working with because they 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 had a gazillion. Um, bookmarks. And the day that this came out, I poked her and said, you might want to take a look at this. And I'm very, very happy that we were not at the same office because she would probably have thrown something at me. She loved it, but she had also jumped through so many hoops in order to sort her, um, her report. And this would have saved so many hours. Lovely. There are a few, uh, Smaller changes, there are uh, such as uh, you can now rotate a, a pie or a donut. It doesn't sound like much, but it means that you can start, you can decide on where 
the the vicious starts to to do the sweep. So you can basically move the zero if you will. There's also some really interesting data connectivity stuff. Azure Synapse Analytics. There is a new connector to Synapse Analytics, which means that the connector is aware of the stuff that you have inside of your um, analytics workspace. Hmm. So it's way easier to connect to your different pools and your different databases and everything that's behind basically uh, Synapse. So it's this um, complete package like we've asked for for quite some time. This is in preview, really, really interesting. And another thing that's in preview is Google Sheets. <laughs> you can now connect Power BI to Google Sheets. This has been a huge ask. And my first idea was, why would anybody care? And then I start thinking about the number of customers that I have that actually use Google um, Sheets just for quick um, information gathering. Mm -hmm. And being able to put that into Power BI is a huge enabler for small, quick turnaround stuff. So really, really cool, I, th I think. Yes. What do we have more? Well, we could mention the, uh, I've already mentioned the, the um, Delta Lake stuff. And Power BI is now what's known as a Databricks Partner. So there's something called Databricks Partner Connect, which means that it is much easier to connect to a Delta Lake from Power BI. Uh, there, there's a new so-called Databricks Partner Connect. Uh, that's the portal. And suddenly you can connect to Delta Lake on the fly from Power BI. So that, that's a definite step in the right direction. We also have some pretty heavy stuff when it comes to Azure Analysis Services. So Power BI is supposed to be a superset of Azure Analysis Services. And that's probably going to be the case going forward, that there's a lot of stuff that has not been supported. And there are two things that just came out that really ups the ante and, and really makes it easier to migrate from analysis services to Power BI Premium. And that is uh, effective username support and um, XML endpoint supporting Azure Active Directory authentication with service principles. So not only can I use service principles in the same way as I'm able to do with analysis services, I can do so with Power BI Premium. That is a huge thing. And I can also do impersonation inside of a data set in a way that I can do in analysis services, but I could not do the same way in, in, in Power BI. So in many respects, Power BI is slowly inching towards analysis services. Analysis services is moving out the door and Power BI will be the, the thing going forward, if you will. What do we have more? Well, this is a huge one. Uh, for basically anybody else but me. And that is exporting to Excel. I still think that is a bad idea um, because if you need to export stuff to Excel, well, yeah, you have other issues, but sometimes you do. And there have been some pretty serious updates to the export to Excel. So you can now choose basically how to export the, the, the data to Excel. You can move the same layout. You can bring the layout into Excel. So if you have a matrix visual that's pretty complex, you can dump the whole thing into Power BI, into, into, into Excel. Um, hmm. 
it's going to be able to do summarize the non-aligned data, all that stuff. It's going to be exported as a flat table of rows and columns. One thing that is not there is it's not bringing um, banding and uh, colors and formatting and that kind of stuff yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I know for a fact that the, the product team picked up on this and are looking at uh, improving this over time because this is a huge, huge ask. So what's happening in your life going forward? Do you have any, any events that you're going to be speaking at? Well, uh, this week on Thursday, I believe when the episode might be coming out, uh, we are having a first uh, Azure and Friends community event here in Finland. We're having it both live and also we have a live stream on YouTube as well that people can join. So one can either come come to the site or join online. And we're going to do it in English because we want to keep it open to everyone. And so I'll be I'll be um, presenting there to try to encourage uh, new speakers to get started because we really want to provide a platform where it's okay to start speaking and have kind of different levels of speakers there. And so I, I will just try to bring some inspiration and some tips on how to get started and even thinking about speaking. Fantastic. That yeah. sounds really cool. I'm excited. Do, do you have any idea of, of the number of attendees at the moment? How many signed up? Uh, I think we have maybe 35 uh, signed up currently. Uh, at least, well, we have to look a bit like who seems to be from Finland and joining. So we do have a limit of how many people we can take on site uh, due to the situation. But so uh, we're still in a good number at the moment. I'm curious to hear um, about your, your hybrid take on things um, when, when you've done it, because yeah. I, I'm curious to learn. Yeah. Cool. What about you? So, um, I'm actually going to go to Norway next week. Uh, so I'm going to go to the Nordic Developer Conference in Oslo. And I'm going to do two sessions at the same event. And I haven't done that for years. Cool. What's even more funny is that one of the sessions that I'm going to be doing is uh, the the flying blind one, i.e. Uh, what I learned from speaking online. Mm -hmm. And that is... <laughs> It it's written and it's designed for an online delivery. Yeah, and I I'm using a few um, features, if you will, of mm -hmm. OBS. I'm using my green screen and stuff. So I need to figure out how to translate that into into reality. Yeah, yeah. I, I have the weekend to to sort that. <laughs> I think, and then we'll I'll be delivering the untruthful art. So uh, we'll see if I'm I'll be allowed back into Norway again. Uh, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, but do keep in mind that you're the positive one of the three of us. Oh yeah, that might be true. Mm. Mm. All right. I think we're fairly on time for once. <gasps> wow. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think we we should keep Simon from from the next episode. Yes, maybe. Maybe we're going to be... Uh, <laughs> well, the thing is, I'm not going to be available at the next episode because I'm, I'll be having a dinner with my colleagues. Ah, so I'll be with just with Simon? Yeah. All right. It'll be fine. 
it'll be fine. I am sure of it. All right. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks or Simon and Haney will be back in two weeks. And we also just made sure that we're going to have a pretty fun uh, conversation with, with someone in the uh, community in the upcoming weeks. Um, Yes. So many interesting questions that I have because I have no idea what, well, I know what we're going to be talking about, but I have no idea how it works or how it, supposed to work so yeah me neither yeah it's a real treat and we'll be doing that in a couple of weeks and until then have a wonderful rest of your day and see you back in two weeks so take care bye bye thank you for listening to this episode of need even tech need even tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by alexander abitson simon binder and heini hilmaninen if you have any feedback questions or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at